Welcome to the Movie Planet. With Joe. Oh, it's good to be back. And Steve. Give me a fat beat to beat my voices. <laughs> Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the Tony Stark to my Justin Hammer, Steve. Welcome back, sir. You are not an annoying little weasel. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> I can be this early in the morning. <laughs> uh, are you excited about Iron Man 2? I am. I had a blast watching it, and I can't wait to uh, share all my pros and cons with it, too. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good time here. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email me at movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook at slash movieplanetpod, Twitter and Instagram at movieplanetpod. And on this show, we'll be keeping track of all the movies worth your time in our Movie Planet Preserve. And this week, we're looking to throw another movie in the comic book movie category. This category is comprised of seven and only seven films. Currently, there are four films in this preserve. They are Deadpool with a perfect score, Iron Man with a perfect score, Green Lantern with a C plus <laughs> and the Incredible Hulk at a C. <laughs> oh, that's quite the drop off. Something's got to fill in right there. There's, I, I think we might have something that fills it in. We might. We might have something. We'll find out here. The higher the grade we give Iron Man to, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it out on its butt from the preserve in the future. So we will discuss the movie, and in an hour or so, we will analyze and grade it and figure out if we need to boot a movie out. But in this case, we won't have to because there's still three slots open. This is a spoiler-rich podcast. So if you haven't seen 2010's Iron Man 2, it's best if you stop right here, watch the movie, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and analysis. But now that we've handled that business, Steve, are you ready to get down to business? I am ready. Let's do it. All right. Well, this week we are discussing 2010's Iron Man 2, a movie made for $200 million. Woo! That brought in $623.9 million worldwide. Still seems small. <laughs> uh yeah, it does, but it, it it looks a little bit higher and a little bit more respectable than the last movie that we reviewed. So yeah. I, when I actually saw those numbers, I was like, okay, that is a little bit better. I mean, it's still not quite near the billion mark, but I, I mean, you know what? Now that I say that, look at that. That's now our standard these exactly. days. Exactly. A billion dollars. <laughs> it was written by Justin Thoreau and directed by John Favreau again, uh, starring Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts, Don Cheadle this time as Rhodey, not Terrence Howard, uh, Scarlett Johansson as Natalie Rushman, Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, whoever the hell you want to call her. Uh, yeah, Sam, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Sam Rockwell is Justin Hammer. Mickey Rourke is Ivan Vanko or Whiplash or Crimson Dynamo, depending on who you ask. <laughs> really? I just thought it was always Ivan. I never got any of those other ones in uh, there. I guess that must be a comic book thing. Uh-huh. John Favreau is Happy Hogan. Samuel L. Jackson is Nick Fury. Clark Gregg is Phil Coulson. Leslie Bibb returning as uh, Christine Everhart. John Slattery is Howard Stark. Paul Bettany is Jarvis. Stanley is someone mistaken for Larry King. And uh, Max Favreau, John's son. Uh, as some kind of kid wearing a Iron Man mask who Stark saved from a hammer drone, but is later confirmed to be a young Peter Parker by Tom Holland, Kevin Feige, and Spider-Man Homecoming director John Watts. 
Okay, so who? Wait, time out. So who was he? Was he Favreau's kid or was he Tom Holland? No, that was Favreau's kid. Okay. Okay. All right, that makes sense. That's yeah. what I thought it was. Okay, but, he, but good. the kid is supposed to be playing a young Peter Parker. Oh, how cool! Yeah. Oh. Um, and Gary Shandling as Senator Stern. Rest in peace, Gary. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, according to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter rating of sixty percent. That's thirty-two fresh reviews and twenty-one rotten. Ooh. That's brutal. Yeah. The critics on average gave this film a 5.95 out of 10. Oh, jeez. Well, we'll see. Well, we'll see. The audience score, which is usually more forgiving, uh, the average rating the audience gave this film is a 3.7 out of 5, with 71% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. Ooh. So it made it made a lot more money, but it just didn't have the same amount of love. Yeah, they were probably hoping... It might have been the multiple viewers who saw it or the, uh, you know, they were just hoping that, oh, my gosh, Iron Man 1 was so good. 2 has to be amazing. Yeah. Well, it's that sequelitis. You know, everybody thinks the sequel can be better. It has to be Empire or Aliens. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. All right. Following the success of Iron Man, Iron Man 2 wasted no time in getting up and moving. Director John Favreau's original idea was a film trilogy with Obadiah Stane becoming Iron Monger during the sequels. But that was scrapped when they got to getting the final draft for the first Iron Man. It was then they decided to pursue the idea of the Mandarin, one of Iron Man's main villains, by inserting him and the Ten Rings organization into the storyline. Yet it never shows up here. (laughs) Yeah, that's just in Iron Man 3. Okay. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like the Dark Knight uh, when they did Batman Begins with Ra's al Ghul. And then they did the Joker in the second movie, and then they went back to Ra's al Ghul again in the third. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that this is the Dark Knight of this trilogy. No. Oh, no, 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 no. That's blasphemy. Yes. Okay, going into pre-production here, John Favreau signed on to direct in July 2008, and they hired Justin Thoreau to do the script, which would be loosely based, very loosely, on a previous idea from Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau as they wanted to adapt the Demon in a Bottle storyline from the comics. Terrence Howard. Now, are you familiar with the Demon in the Bottle storyline? No, unfortunately, I am not. Okay, the Demon in a Bottle storyline, is a, it's, a, it's a story arc in comics which really is all about Tony's self-destructive habits follow, uh, with his alcoholism. Well, you know, as soon as I said, you know, I didn't know what that meant. I kind of put two and two together after watching this movie. Yeah. The old demon in the bottle. Okay, I see the metaphor. Staples of that. Yeah. And it is one of the major story arcs of the Iron Man uh, comic book franchise. So, yeah, this is something that they definitely wanted to attack. But, you know, we'll see that they kind of uh, they kind of skirted away from it in this, I think. Uh, All right. Yeah. Terrence Howard who played Colonel James Rhodes. If you're wondering where the hell he was, he was replaced with Don Cheadle. So here's the story about this. Apparently, Howard and Favreau did not get along in Iron Man. Uh, Some of the the strife between the two included many scenes being filmed for Iron Man that included Howard being cut from the movie and being reshot without him. Damn. 
<laughs> yeah, that would piss. That would that, that would irritate me too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, on being replaced, Howard said, "Quote: There was no explanation. Apparently, the contracts that we write and sign aren't worth the paper that they're printed on. Sometimes promises are kept, aren't kept, and good faith negotiations aren't always held up." End quote. All right. All right. One for Howard. I guess I can see that. Yeah. What's the other side of the story? Well, Marvel had gone to Howard to ask him to reduce his salary. In Iron Man, he was paid the largest salary since he was coming off an Oscar win. RDJ was paid a much smaller amount. With the success of it, they wanted to readjust the pay scale. Apparently, Howard wasn't feeling this, and he left the project. (sighs) Okay. Well, (laughs) that makes sense. The main character, I mean, this is just logic here. Yep. Okay. Should be paid the most. Yes. Um. But at the same time, if you've already committed to paying one guy something and then want to go back on it, yeah, I can still understand you're still a little upset. So I still want to give the point to Howard. Okay, okay. In November 2013, Howard stated that going into the film, the studio offered him far less than was his three-picture contract, claiming they told him the second will be successful with or without you. And without mentioning it by name, said Downey, quote, took the money that was supposed to go to me and pushed me out. Mm. No, I'm sorry. Robert Downey Jr. deserves the money in these movies. It's not Terrence Howard. Oh, I totally agree with that. Oh, yes. He 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 played like he was the richest guy or the highest guy being paid. They also got Downey for peanuts in the first one. I think he was only getting paid like three hundred thousand dollars for that. Yeah, that's peanuts, all right. Yeah. So, now, in in regards to Terrence, you're probably wondering, why couldn't they just ask the studio for more money to get Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah. I don't know. They had already spent, what, $200 million on this thing? What's another, you know, nine? It's that million. That's what I told you. That's what they should have done for Hulk. See? <laughs> oh, those penny, those penny pinchers over at Marvel. <laughs> Okay, in January 2009, Mickey Rourke and Sam Rockwell signed on to play the villains. They courted Emily Blunt to play Black Widow. Are you familiar with her work? Yes, I am. Mary Poppins could have been uh, Black Widow. But this is the best part. She couldn't take the part because she was going to star in Gulliver's Travels. Oh, mistake for her. Big mistake. Blessing for us. Blessing (laughs) for the fans. Oh, (laughs) And uh, the final piece of uh, trivia here, Samuel L. Jackson was the big question mark for the movie. Apparently, he was in discussions to play Nick Fury, but there were some contract disputes that led to Jackson to publicly state, quote, there was a kind of negotiation that broke down. Maybe I won't be Nick Fury, end quote. And one month later, he signed a nine-picture contract with Marvel. (laughs) I'll tell you one thing. Negotiations were short. No, look at you, Star Wars boy. (laughs) <laughs> oh, now, now, I, I, listen. There, they've done some incredible casting in these movies, but mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. is irreplaceable as Tony Stark. You couldn't replace the actor. Could you legitimately say that Samuel L. Jackson also was irreplaceable as Nick Fury? No, uh, no. I think he could be replaced. Okay. I, um, I think um, Samuel Jackson is is his own character. Um, just based on the other films that he's done. Um, I don't think this film defined him as 
as who he is. He, I don't, I, I didn't get that tradition. I mean, I did get a little bit of that traditional Samuel Jackson that everybody knows, Yeah. but could have somebody else come in and played it. Um, yes. Do I know anybody off the top of my head? No. So, okay. I, maybe I'm being kind of a hypocrite here, but, um, <laughs> if I were actually maybe give us some time and thought, I probably could come up with a couple people, you know, who could, uh, pull off this, uh, um, Nick Fury a little bit better. You know who, you know, I watched Captain Marvel the other night and, uh, I, I was thinking if you go back in time, if you were to get a younger Samuel L. Jackson, how mm-hmm. cool would it have been to get Michael B. Jordan as that role if he wasn't already Killmonger in Black Panther? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for to play the young Samuel Jackson, that would be good. Yeah. Okay, let's get into this. Do you remember seeing this for the first time? What did you think, Steve? Yeah, a couple of years ago when I started this whole MCU binge, yeah. um, I, ne- I never saw it in the theaters because, again, I just wasn't into it. I just I didn't know what the uh, Iron Man was and all that, so... I did see the first one um, at the time when it came out in theater. So I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to go out and see the second one. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, and even when I rewatched it the other night, I couldn't remember anything past the racing scene. So it was almost still kind of new for me. So I probably, this was like my second viewing okay. that I've ever seen. Right. This film, so Joe, what did you think? What was the first time you saw it? <laughs> I loved Iron Man. I, I, I remember seeing this. I saw it opening night, hoping for another entertaining movie, and I got it. This is a very entertaining movie. I love this movie. I especially love Sam Rockwell's Justin Hammer. Every time he's on the screen, I am laughing because he's such a douche. And at the time, I was into Entourage, and Hammer was that brand of douche. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. He was in that. Yes. And I've only seen a couple episodes of those, so okay. Yeah. So, uh, okay, well, let's get started walking through this movie. Here's a clip from the film. I told you I don't want to join your super secret boy band. <laughs> no, no, no. See, I, I, I remember you do everything yourself. How's it working out for you? It's, 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 I'm sorry, I don't want to get off on the wrong foot. Do I look at the patch or the eye? Honestly, I'm a bit hungover. I'm not sure if you're real or if, if I'm having to do I am very real. I'm the realest person you're ever going to meet. Just my luck. Where's the oh, staff here? That's not looking so good. Been worse. We secured the perimeter, but I don't think we should hold it for too much longer. Huh. You're fired. That's not up to you. Tony. I want you to meet Agent Romanov. Hi. I'm a shield shadow. Once we knew you were ill, I was tasked to you by Director Fury. I suggest you apologize. You've been very busy. You made your girl your CEO, you're giving away all your stuff. You, you let your friend fly away with your suit. Now, if I didn't know better... You don't know better. I didn't give it to him. He took it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But no, he took it? You're Iron Man and he just took it? The little brother walked in there, kicked your ass, and took your suit. Is that possible? Well, according to Mr. Stark's database security guidelines, there are redundancies to prevent unauthorized usage. What do you want from me? What do we want from you? No, uh-uh. What do you want from me? You have become a problem, a problem I have to deal with. Contrary to your belief, you are not the center of my universe. Yeah, I, I have bigger problems than you in the Southwest region to deal with. Get him. Oh, God, you're going to steal my kidney and sell it? Would you please not do anything awful for five seconds? What'd you just do to me? What did we just do for you? 
That's lithium dioxide. It's gonna take the edge off. We're trying to get you back to work. Give me a couple boxes and that'll be right as rain. It's not a cure, it just abates the symptoms. Doesn't look like it's gonna be an easy fix. Trust me, I know I'm good at this stuff. I've been looking for a suitable replacement for palladium. I've tried every combination, every permutation of every known element. Well, I'm here to tell you, you haven't tried them all. In Russia, the national media is televising the news conference in which Tony Stark revealed his identity as Iron Man to the world. During this, a sick Anton Vanko dies in the arms of his son, Ivan Vanko, telling him that the only thing he has left to leave him is his knowledge, which turn out to be the blueprints for the arc reactor. He also tells his son that he has every right to the success that Tony Stark and his family has gained, which motivates Ivan to seek revenge on Stark. This is your opener, Steve. Um, yes, and seeing how I've commented so many times on the opening, yes. um, this was... Uh, this was one of the better ones. Um, I actually remember this was one of the my, my points that I really liked that I'll talk about in my um, top three, bottom three. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, it was. Um, it just kind of threw us right into Russia, and then it kind of <laughs> triggered me, and I was like, okay, we're gonna play the whole traditional uh, Russia versus America thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had no idea who this Ivan or um, not Ivan or Mr. Vanko. Yeah. Was Anton. Um, so I was a little curious about that. And then when you see his name on the blueprints, I was like, oh, and I'm just like, okay, this is a little bit of a tangent. Does yeah. anybody really know about this? So, um, I was intrigued a little bit about that on where the storyline was going. And I was like, okay, I'm in. So, I like it so far. So good. Okay. So would you say that this time you actually made a concerted effort to really pay attention during the beginning this time? Whereas last time you were kind of like, well, it's the start up to the movie. I really don't have to pay attention. It's just the credits. Well, yeah, because it was just, there wasn't major storyline telling while everything else was going on at the screen at the same time. And I'm seeing what you're trying to do here. No, 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 <laughs> no. Because it's funny because this, you are kind of an okay. example of, how the audience over time has adjusted how they watch movies now. Because okay. Marvel's really changed the way. I mean, if it wasn't for Marvel, no one's staying at the end of credits for movies anymore. Very true. Yeah. But also, it turns out that no matter what happens, as soon as the lights go down in a movie theater, if it's a Marvel movie, you need to pay attention to every single thing on the screen because there's always a treat on there somewhere. And when they do the intro here, again, there's Easter eggs all over the place. That if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. Yeah. Uh, for me. Oh, yeah, no, it's very true. Yeah, so it's kind of changed the way. So, like, incredible. Like, Iron Man, the first Iron Man, okay, you know, it, it, it's kind of a cold open. It's just them going through the desert. Um, mm -hmm. In Incredible Hulk, they do tell a two-and-a-half-hour story in two minutes. And in this, yeah. they're introducing a brand-new character and, well, two brand-new characters, and then they've got Stark shit everywhere. Yeah. Um, well, see, I think the difference between that one and Incredible Hulk um, is the fact that the movie just starts. Yes. Okay. You have like your, I don't know how long this, like a five to 10 minute little, I don't want to even call it a montage, but your movie is literally starting. Yes. And then it goes in, then it goes into the credits. Yeah. You know, and they have like, you know, I thought how they did this was was really cool because you see him kind of working on something you kind of don't and then it starts the pieces no pun intended start coming together oh he's doing the art oh okay <laughs> um so it was it, it was different than hulk because that was major storytelling of literally every of how hulk was created yep yep 
So that's why I like this one. And even Iron Man, you know, um, that introduction was even better or than Hulk because it was just the movie started and then credits rolled a little bit afterwards. And it wasn't too, too crazy when the credits were rolling. So there wasn't like any, yeah. So that's why I liked it better. Right on. Okay. Well for me, I, I, as I'm watching the scene, I'm thinking with everything that he knows about technology that we learned later on, how is Vanko not as successful as Tony Stark in Russia? He should be the Tony of Russia. You know what? When you mention this, this is because, and I don't know if the film did this on purpose. They just want to make sure that everybody still believes that Russia's just a little bit less than the USA. <laughs> you know what? You're you know, probably right. <laughs> you know, we want it to seem like we're the top dog. Russia's close because we've always been, you know, extremely competitive with the, uh, you know, Cold War and all that stuff. Yep. And the Iron Curtain. And, um, no, heck, you can even, if you want, don't want to go political, go all the way into sports, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think this was just like there, I don't want to call it a dig, but just saying, yeah, they could probably still do the same thing as us, but they're uh, just like Tony Stark over there uh, in, in, in a cave trying to do this technology. <laughs> <laughs> That's where their technology's at. All right. Well, hey, six months later, Stark continues to use the Iron Man suit to protect people and his fame. Uh, has increased. He op- he reopens the Stark Expo to fulfill his father's dream of endorsing inventors and inventions that will one day benefit the world. And as Stark leaves the stage, he notices that his blood toxicity is rising, accompanied by noticeable damaged veins around his chest expanding outward. He keeps the secret from everyone. How on earth has Pepper Potts not noticed the skin anomaly? Everyone else has. <laughs> well... Maybe that's one of the reasons. Well, she's just so busy, you know, <laughs> she's got to do this and this and keep up with Tony at the same time. It's just, you know, everybody else is just, Hey, Tony, how you doing? She's got to like pretty much run the bit. I don't know. That's a good question. But, you know, knowing him, he probably hides everything, especially his health, um, <laughs> a lot more to her because you just, that's one less thing we need her to worry about. And this is when he drops from the plane. Can you uh, now? This is this is a nitpicky thing, but I need to point it out. Why the hell is he flying in a plane when he can fly in his fucking suit? <sighs> that is true, and yeah. <laughs> and this was actually a scene that was in the trailer that was cut uh, because he actually talks with Te- Pepper right before he flies off the plane. And when he asks for a kiss, she puts the uh, mask on him and kisses the mask and then pushes him out the door. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I don't know why they took that out. I think maybe they just wanted a cold open with ACDC. Yeah. And then didn't they kind of do that. What did they play in the beginning of Iron Man 1? Iron Man 1 was uh, Back in Black. See? Okay, so they got an ACDC thing. I like it. Yeah. Back in black, and then this one was Shoot to Thrill, I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. After being summoned to attend a Senate Armed Forces Committee hearing on the existence and threat of the Iron Man armor and similar suits being developed in retaliation, Senator Stern demands that he hands his armor technology over for military applications. Stark, however, refuses as he says that the Iron Man suit and Tony Stark is the same concept and to give it over would be to turn over himself. He then proves that other attempts by foreign powers to duplicate the Iron Man suit have failed miserably and also embarrasses corporate rival Justin Hammer, who had testified against him by showing he had also made a bungled attempt at creating a prototype. <laughs> I love the entire Senate scene. 
Oh, it was great. It just showed how like much, you know, he cared enough to be there, but he didn't want to be there. And he didn't really care because he didn't, he, he knew he was right. And that, you know, heck, he's like laughing in the face of the entire U.S. government. Yes. The fact, and the fact when he says, yeah, I just privatized, privatized world peace. But, <laughs> and everybody's behind him still because everybody's on his side. Right. Oh, it, it was, it, it, it was great. And, yeah, the fact that when uh, he accidentally shows, oh yeah, I, I don't know if that's Tony Stark's phone, but god dang it, <laughs> everything he has is so darn cool. Well, that's a, that's the thing that that's a, that's a problem I have right here, and that is everything he has is amazing. I love watching him play with everything on the screen, but he's at a Senate committee about his technology and the military applications, and he starts taking over the screens using his technology that the government clearly doesn't have. Does his company, I mean, his company used to make weapons. What exactly does Stark Industries do now? Well, yeah, they're, well, yeah, they're all just technology-based, I guess. I don't know. But do they, uh, I mean, do they not have contracts with the military anymore or the government for that matter? Oh, I didn't, I didn't, when it came off, I didn't think they did because he privatizes everything, so. Yeah, and this was a summons, right? He was summoned to talk? Oh, yeah. Actually, can I go back to that really quick? So when he's out by the car before this whole scene in Washington, D.C. starts, he comes up, this like very gorgeous lady comes up, and he just turns into classic Tony Stark anyways. <laughs> and he's just like thinking, oh, oh, who do you want? Oh, how are you? You know, where yeah. are you going? I've been looking for you. And it's like, oh. I'm like, God dang it. Tony being Tony, every guy's got darn jealous. <laughs> and then all of a sudden says, you got anything for me? She goes, yeah, a nice little pretty summons. I was like, oh, you're so, for, the, for this generation, savage. Savage. It's like, well, well played, lady, well played. I just, and I was just laughing during that whole scene. Well, there's so I thought many, that was just funny. First of all, do you remember who, do you know who the actress was? No, I don't. It was Kate Mara, who... Has been. She was in the new Fantastic Four movie. She was in uh, House of Cards. Uh, she's okay. she, she's a she's a you know second level actress. Okay. Yeah. But also, I love the fact that he goes, "What's your name?" And she goes, "Marshall." Oh. <laughs> and he goes, "That's interesting. <laughs> Ambiguous." <laughs> oh, that just made it even better. <laughs> Okay, Stark then returns home where Jarvis confirms that the toxic levels of his blood have risen. The palladium that is powering the arc reactor, keeping the shrapnel from reaching his heart, is slowly killing him, and there are no other suitable replacements. Okay, that's a little dark. Yeah. Uh, Is this when he takes the thing out and it's smoking? Yeah, that was really weird, too. And he just takes out and, like, this chip has just been baking in him. Um. So how does it like know when to take it out? Does he start like smelling like burnt hairs or something? They're going like that. I don't know. And then, and then he just replaces it, you know, and he's got like, you know, six this. Uh, yeah. He's got like six of these things just in a nice little pretty case. And he comes out and it looks like, you know, somebody left the toast on level nine. Oh, you know? It's just like, okay, buddy. And yeah. What do you do? Just throw that in like a receptacle or something? That's probably some high-powered weapon you're just throwing away. I was going to say, you, you know? had to dispose of that in a very, very careful way, I bet. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he, and he takes that thing out so like half-heartedly. Like, clink, clink, clink. It's out. And there's this gigantic hole in his chest. 
And I don't even know if it was this time or the second time around where he does that, where he just pounds it back into his chest. Like it's, <laughs> I know it, it, it powers him up apparently. Yeah. It's uh, like, oh, it's, it's a little <clears throat> snag in there. Pound it back in there. You know, uh, later Stark thinking he will die makes pepper Potts CEO of Stark industries and makes Natalie Rushman, his new assistant. We get a new character in the movies. Oh, the great, oh, the second best character in this whole film. She wears a pantsuit so well. Oh, when she walks on there, I mean, <laughs> and again, I'm viewing this as if I'm not seeing the rest of the other um, Marvel movies. I'm just like, who are you? Yeah. You're, she's like, well, she's just drop dead gorgeous. You want, um, Scarlett Johansson. Yep. So when she comes in there, yeah, she plays the pantsuit thing. Very, it's just like, and then she tells him, just get in the ring. I was like, huh, all right. I what's love the this, boxing like, ring look, scene. What's this little meek, uh, this little meek girl going to do? And then Happy's in there just kind of talking a little bit of trash. It's like trying to get something to happen. What do you do? Tie bow? Little booty boot camp? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and all of a sudden, he just like does one move, and he is upside down, looking at the sky, just like, you know. I was like, "Wow, I wish I wasn't happy, but I would be happy if I was happy at yeah, that point." Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I this scene is amazing. Uh, I just, I want every, I want Tony's house. I oh yeah, everything. He's, in, like, I mean, he's got a the... boxing ring in his house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. But also, apparently, he can put a computer surface on nearly everything in his house. Yeah, he's got. That's just got to be. There's yeah, a I don't know what I, I honestly don't know what to say about that because yeah, he just turns like any piece of furniture into a computer. Yeah, and he he has to be he had to have created this his own, um, because he just uses it so half-heartedly, like he's been using it for years. Oh, I know. I so, think there's times when I'm like, the technology is too easy. Oh, there, yeah. There's times when I think that. And it it rubs me a little bit the wrong way. Like, I love it, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, the fantastical part of these comic book movies should be the powers the comic book heroes have. Not everything else around them. Well, yeah, that's like Bruce Wayne. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. Not the superhero, but... His his money is his superpower. Yeah, so that's kind of a little bit. That's kind of a little bit of what Tony Stark is. Yeah. Okay. We fast forward to the uh, Monaco Grand Prix. Stark takes out the Formula One driver who is representing Stark Industries and drives it himself, seeking some enjoyment before he dies, despite putting himself in immediate danger. Unbeknownst to anyone else, Vanko, or Whiplash, has gained a pass to the Monaco Grand Prix through the means of his associate, plotting an attack on Stark using his modified harness with electric whips. Okay, here we go. So we first get him walking into the bar area, and he's automatically thrown in with Justin Hammer. <laughs> just, and you can tell he just the disdain for this guy, it, it cannot be hidden on Tony's face. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He's just like, this is like the stain on my pants that just won't go away. <laughs> but the, like, gosh, we also get the return of another character from the first movie, and that is reporter Christine Everhart, who's now banging Justin at Hammer. In the first movie, oh. she, she, she nailed uh, Tony. I didn't even I didn't even get that part. I just thought she was just along because she was pressed. But hey, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I I liked her in the second movie a little bit more, only because of she plays a press reporter of pushing the agenda very very well. Yeah, and she'll do whatever it needs to do to get to, to kind of get a story. You she, know, just an interview talks. She is the Lois Lane of the Marvel universe. <laughs> yes, she is. Um, but also, I'm also wondering. Okay, Pepper Potts. Pepper Potts seems to be okay with the fact that. Christy Neverhart nailed Tony. What is Pepper in Tony's relationship? I don't know. Yeah, it's they both have different agendas. It's it seems like it's like I don't think that I think, you know, Tony kind of likes her, but doesn't know how far to go with it. Plus trying to keep it professional. Um, but does, when she, do but talk, does she like him? I don't you know, I never got that off the bat. I don't think so. And that's that. I think that was the big problem. I think he did, but she didn't, you know? Right. And the more and more I talk about this and say this, I sound like middle school drama. But that's exactly <laughs> it, is this move, these are adults. They should be written as adults. And they had that one moment in Iron Man 2 when they were on the rooftop. Yeah. Yeah. And then it drops back to where they are in this movie at the beginning. It's like, okay, well, you took a step back. But they, yeah, they just have a weird relationship. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I think it, I think that's a writing issue. Honestly, you got to figure out what direction you're going in here. Because if, if if you're gonna give everybody an arc, because I don't know what Pepper's arc is other than she gets promoted. Well, how about this? To define uh, Tony's character a little bit more, yes, it could be that uh, Tony Stark is very, very um, hesitant on commitments. Because of who he is, so he doesn't want to fully commit into something. So it's even even to a relationship, um, because he still wants to do his be able free will, or he just doesn't trust himself. So it could be a character thing um, with his whole back and forth with uh, Pepper Potts that he just doesn't want to commit. But that's so Pepper's attracted to that. Uh, I, I think it's just the bad boy image. Every girl loves a bad boy. I just imagine that Pepper Potts, a very beautiful and very successful woman, would have no problem yeah. finding another guy. No, I don't. I don't think so either. And I think that's actually probably would have been a good uh, little thing to show is if she ends up bringing a date to one of these, um, yes, venues or these, uh, you know, parties that he throws. That would have been interesting because then you would have really seen that would have actually defined on what Tony's stance on Pepper. Like in a relationship wise, exactly what it'd have been. That could have been a turning point moment near the end of the movie, and mm -hmm. you could have, then that's when you're like, okay, Tony's going to pursue her. Yes, that that would be. Per See, sometimes we can write these things better than they can. Okay, all right. Vanko soon appears on the racetrack and attacks the racing cars, knowing Stark would come. Stark puts on the portable Mark V Mark Five suit, Mark V. And with the aid of Happy Hogan, defeats Vanko. Stark discovers that Ivan is the son of disgraced Russian physicist Anton Vanko, who collaborated on the first arc reactor with Stark's father, Howard Stark. Vanko is later broken out of jail by Justin Hammer, who recruits him to make his own Iron Man suits and gain revenge on Stark by tarnishing his name and image. Now, before you go off on something here, I both love and hate this scene. From start to finish... I'm going to start with just the race part here because it also goes into the meeting that he has with uh, Justin Hammer in the ha airplane hangar, which just is funny on its own. But yeah. the, the racetrack. I'm all in on this until when, Steve? 
gosh, geez. When I don't what did freaking show okay, I have a huge problem with this scene. Which and is this is the funny. problem that I have also, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. My thing is what, could you could, would you agree that Tony Stark jumping in and doing this whole racing was a little impromptu? A bit. Okay, so <laughs> nope. Uh, on his part, he probably knows exactly what he's doing. But does everybody else? No, because even Pepper and all them, or um, Scarlett Johansson's character Natasha, um, they're all like, "I had no idea this is going on." Yeah. But Ivan knew. How did he? he makes early... on, how did Tony get down there with nobody seeing him? Well, <laughs> it is Tony. He can but, do whatever he wants and but, just get down there. And but just Pepper's show his... by his side all the time. That's how good he is. He just. <laughs> Did you notice how suave he just pushed the reporter off to Justin Hammer? <laughs> and he just kind of like, it's like he walked and rolled out of it at the same time without losing a step. He's just so good about that. So him getting down there and sneaking down there, he just says, I'm Tony Stark. Yes, you're the driver. I built the car. I, I'm the one who's driving it. I own it. So, um, And I thought it was funny that the driver just goes, you know what, screw this. And just throws his, <laughs> throws his helmet down. Um but I was like, okay, I'll buy into that because he's the, you know, the rich guy getting whatever he wants. Um, rightfully so, because it is, it is his property. But how Ivan just like knows that this is going to happen. I mean, how does he know he was going to get down there? How did he, I mean, I can get sneaking into it and maybe, you know, he's like, you know, going to be there as like a guest because it is his race or mm. whatever. But how did he know he was going to actually be in the car on the racetrack? No, you're right. And then how did and then how does he just walk onto the racetrack? He it's like somebody running on the field in soccer. He would have been tackled a long time ago by a bunch of guys. Yeah, yeah. And uh also I mean go further back, how the heck did he travel with all that gear and nobody noticed? He's coming from Russia. And this post nine eleven, yeah. <laughs> but he must have checked it in. He must have didn't. Wasn't a carry on. But all of that craziness aside, that is still not the biggest problem I have with the scene, Steve. Oh no, me too. Um, that was one of them. Um, well, let's start with this. Do you like the briefcase suit? Yeah, I think I do. Um, it just, unfortunately, it either. It uh, makes the government a little bit more right, the fact that he can carry <laughs> around this massive weapon in the size of a briefcase. Um, I remember when, I that, when that was first shown in theaters, that was awesome. Like, we were like, oh, my God, he could pull it out of a briefcase now. Yeah, it was really cool. I didn't, you know, and the one thing I noticed when he finally jumped into it and turned into the, the actual Iron Man, I was like, this is a little, you know, it, that was built on the go. Yep. Okay. But it goes together a little slow. It's like, I mean, if you count it out, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, so on and so <laughs> forth. I mean, he's already in gear. One little whiplash, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> and he could have been, you know, gone before that armor's on. I don't know. I just thought it was a little, come on, Stark. Right. But that's being, that's being nitpicky. I get it. No, it is. But at the same time, you've heard us say this on the show, and that is eventually there's too many nitpicks. And yeah. it's become a problem at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, and this might be that, that this might be leading to what those tomato critics put that 5.95 that you, you just have this mountain of problems 
But again, Steve, we're not quite at the biggest problem I have. All right, go ahead. The biggest problem I have is that John Favreau, Happy Hogan, gets on his Rolls Royce with Pepper in the back, gets on the race car track, is going in the opposite direction of these speeding cars, avoiding all of them, and then rams Ivan Vanko not once, not twice, but three times with the Rolls Royce in the knees, and not only does it not break Vanko's legs, no airbags go off at all? Okay, I knew you were going here, and that is one of my things that I definitely talk about later. <laughs> um, but, um, okay, to be honest, didn't even notice the airbags because I was too I was too annoyed with how Ivan reacts to a car crash. <laughs> um, so I didn't even, I, I didn't even notice that part. Um, but oh god, yes, that 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 should be the end of villain one right there. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I I one hundred ten percent wholeheartedly agree, and I think that's probably one of my bottom three. Oh. So, uh, yeah, that was a major, major flaw in the film. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. A- any other pieces you want to talk about on that scene, the Monaco scene? Yeah. Well, no, I think the whole accident and Vanco just kind of, you know, engulfs everything that's wrong with that scene. Yeah. So um, I thought the, I guess the CGI in the racetrack was a little bit off, but I guess that's being a little bit nitpicky. Um, I just... I don't know. I think it could have been done better without him actually going down there and being on the racetrack. Right. Um, it did kind of bring apart on how kind of cool his weapon is, uh, whiplashes with those whips. But I'll tell you, when did he become like a martial arts with whips? Because if you miss out on one little thing and nick yourself, <laughs> man, he could have lost an appendage really easy. You know, this thing could cut through cars and cut through, you know. I like how he demonstrated and tested it on a TV. Right, like, right. Oh, danger, you cut a TV in half. But um, it was uh, it's like okay, this guy's a professional whipsman. So yeah, uh, I yeah. guess. So. Uh, and then the, the, it cuts to the prison scene where he gets pr- he bro- broken out. But then we go to the airplane hangar where Vanko meets Justin Hammer. Yeah. And Hammer <laughs> is approaching him saying, Hey, I need you to make some robots for me to compete with Tony. And he has no idea that Vanko just wants to kill the mother. <laughs> yeah, I just, th- th- in this scene, I lost a little bit of respect for Hammer because now he's just like, Okay, he's supposed to be designated at this as his genius, but he can't keep up with them and he has an Achilles heel because it won't, won't ever be that smart. But I guess you kind of do need that. Yeah. Um, just to show who is the better genius out of everybody. Um, so I guess I kind of get it. Um, but no, this scene was hilarious because of just how everything's all set up. You got this rug tug guy who just got busted out of prison, tattoos everywhere, you know, the long dreads hair walking up in shackles and he's just sitting up nice and pretty with this private jet in the background. Ice cream Sunday. Oh yeah. (laughs) I flew this in from San Francisco. (laughs) It's organic. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, okay, he's the organic guy. Oh, geez. But there's also two things that are mentioned here uh, within five minutes. One is Vanko, who basically says, if you can make God bleed, then people will cease to believe in him. Mm -hmm. Well, 
can we agree that Vanko did that with Iron Man? Yes. Okay. Yes. Nobody comes in this movie. And then the second one is Justin Hammer. You don't go after the man. You go after the man's legacy. Well, that didn't work either. No. <laughs> well, I think Hammer was just kind of, he said that in to kind of correct uh, Vanko. He says, no, you don't want to attack him, the person, yeah. and hurt and kill him. You want to um, hurt everything that he's done. You're right. And I think that's what really, really contends like breaks a person and hits them to their rock bottom and kind of disintegrates them from, you know, people's eyes. Yeah. Yeah. This is making his whole legacy kind of, I don't want to call it a joke, but it's just like not worth anymore, which, you know, in today's society, people, you know, they can flip a switch and love or hate somebody that quick. So. Okay, well, here we go. Stark throws what he believes will be his last birthday party and promptly proceeds to get drunk while wearing the Mark Six, Mark IV armor. When Stark begins to endanger his party guests by blasting objects out of the air in the vicinity, his friend, Lieutenant Colonel James Rhodes, dons the Mark II armor to subdue him. And we get my favorite line of the entire movie, give me a fat beat to beat my buddy's ass to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was some great... There was This whole scene was really cool. Because one, it just, I think it relates back to the, um, when we were talking about the making of the demon in the bottle yep. of him and his problem with alcohol, which I guess I didn't really realize until um, after the movie was done that maybe he's an alcoholic. Mm. Um, but um, no, the one problem I had with this was just like uh, um, Rhodes just kind of jumps into armor and knows exactly what to do with it. I guess I'll give the thing that the guy's very educated, but this is stuff that Tony built. This is his. He built everything by hand. He knows it in and out better than anybody. Yeah. And he's probably the only one who does know it. But he gets in there and knows exactly what to do with everything. I had a problem with that. Well, in the first movie, uh, there's a scene where uh, Tony is going after Obadiah Stane and Rhodes is left with the suits. And he looks at the war machine suit and he says, next time, baby. And what was supposed to happen, apparently, was it was supposed to be alluded that that one suit is programmed for him specifically. But they never tell you this. So you have to imagine it's been six months in between movies. He has probably worn it once or twice. If they would have alluded to that, that would have taken away that my whole problem with the scene. Exactly. If they had brought that up, it's one less thing to nitpick, but damn, that's a big nitpick. It's a big yeah, one. Yeah, it is. Uh, this is the first time he's called War Machine, which is pretty, that, that's a little origin right there of the name. Uh, yeah. This scene looked great a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It does not look good now. No. It was just a typical, well, it was like, it was a big drunk fight, but with high technology and explosives built into it. It was, that's what it was. It was a bar fight with, um, with technology. Yeah. So yeah. I thought that it was a little overdramatic, you know, but, but hey. I'll, I'll, I will say this. And that is with the computer, computer robots fighting, you're left with voices. And 
I cannot see Terrence Howard's voice as War Machine. I love Don Cheadle as War Machine. Yeah, it's almost like I thought Terrence Howard's voice would be a little too soft for it. I, I think um, Don Cheadle's voice, he has a little bit more stern, a little bit more sharpness to it so that he can, you know, when he gives out a, like a demand or, you know, an alert type of uh, voice, it comes off a little bit better. Yeah. yeah Terrence Howard. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Again, yep. that might be a little nitpicky, but might be. Well, the next day, Stark, disgraced and hungover, is approached <laughs> by Nick Fury of Shield and Rushman, who in reality is dun dun da Natasha Romanoff, who provides him with a box of his father's old research that can hopefully be used to find a cure for his palladium poisoning. They even talk about where Nick Fury finds Iron Man or Sir, Tony. I'm gonna have to have you exit the donut. <laughs> <laughs> such an such an iconic place in uh california the old donut ring i was just like oh that's just perfect again that just shows you like how powerful that he could still be is he could just go anywhere he wants and there's nothing anybody can do about it yep but then nick fury shows up and he's like all right let's get down <laughs> you know hey. so hey it gives a little bit of uh you know, power to Nick Fury. Yeah. Uh, this is also the origin of Widow and Fury. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had never seen them both together before. Uh, we've never seen Black Widow before in her uh, uniform, we'll call it. <laughs> the more Black Widow, the better. I'm yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> now, they give him a shot, uh, which is just meant to take the edge off, but it actually erases the poisoning from his skin. Was yeah. Was it a cure? Well, I think they mentioned that it's just something to kind of subside them. So I think it just kind of tones it down a little bit, um, but it's not an overall cure. It's like taking, uh, I don't know. Claritin for your allergies? Uh, yeah, I guess so. It just kind of subsides it for a little bit, but it can, you know, it, it'll eventually make its way back up. So I think that just, you know, I think like Natasha did, this will just take the edge off, you yeah. know, to help yeah. you out. So I don't think it was a cure, but at the same time, it was just like, Okay, we're done. It's almost like that storyline almost ended because it never really flared back up again. Yeah. Hey, hey, remember when the Stark Expo was a thing? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Where'd that go? Hey, hey, remember when Ivan Vanko was a thing? <laughs> oh, wait, he's not dead. <laughs> or should be. We're going to get into my bottom three real soon. <laughs> I'll be right there with you. Uh, using his father's research, Stark discovers a message from his father that leads him to examine the original 1974 diorama of the Stark Expo. In reality, a disguised diagram for the molecular structure of a new element. Stark hand-builds a particle accelerator with the aid of his computer AI, Jarvis, and synthesizes this new element, creating a new perfected arc reactor that cures his palladium poisoning. Realizing Hammer's involvement with Vanko, Stark races to the Stark Expo. Okay. Now we get into the part where I just go, what the hell? Yeah, me too. <laughs> My first question, though, actually is, where did where did he get Cap Shield from? It's supposed to be in the ice at this point. It looks, uh, well, I took, that's true. I almost thought it was almost like a prototype. Like oh. this was Howard. Like Howard was trying to build this, and obviously no one just makes something, and then boom, this is the only one. That's it. You know, you have a little trial and error. So I, I assumed it was just 
I like a prototype. I do like how he uses it just to like <laughs> prop up his particle accelerator, though. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this is a this is a unique shield. Oh, wait, I need that, and then just uses it like uh, to even off the table. Well, yeah. even better, it's. Coulson that finds it. And we know in Avengers later on, Coulson is such a fanboy of Captain America. <laughs> oh, yeah. He does get a little wide-eyed. With his, it's like, where did you get this? <laughs> it's like, what? are you going to be using this? <laughs> it's even funnier now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did have a problem with that whole building the slab scene. Yeah. Okay. Now, I know you know, but not everybody else knows. He tears his house apart. <laughs> yeah. I have a jungle in my backyard. Yes, you do. I mean, I have trees and trees, and I've just, I, I slowly, slowly try to cut that. I mean, the other day, I was out there for maybe all day, <laughs> and I probably was able to cut down maybe four or five trees and then cut those in and take them out to the front. It took me all day. He builds a high tech lab in what seems like a matter of hours. I know. And I'm telling you, <laughs> this has got to be like, you know, environmental threatening. Um, kind of lab that he does and builds this element. I'm just like, I'm sorry. And this is doing him by, by himself. I mean, yes, he yells at the robot to help him out or something like that. Um, but he does this all himself, even the demo. I'm just like, no way. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, and you knew it happened all within the same time because at the end of it, then he gets a little too warm and rips his shirt off. I'm just like, really? Hey, a little candy for the ladies. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Robert we got Jr. we have Black so Widow and Pepper Potts, and might as well give them something. <laughs> they had. Well, that's true because Mickey Rourke is just look just looks disgusting. Oh, he looks like a catcher's mitt. Oh gosh, yes. Uh, there is a scene I totally forgot about here. It's when Tony goes and brings strawberries to Pepper Potts. Oh yes. <laughs> he goes to her office to apologize i think i really don't know what his purpose is there i think he's apologizing but she basically says are you trying to apologize and he's like well no and i'm like well then why are you here that's uh, when, when that happened that's tony stark's ego it, to him that's apologizing but to the world you know he he just he has too much pride to apologize to somebody because he thinks he deserves more that that he's higher still than everybody else and she, he doesn't need to apologize and she has the most irritating perpetual motion paper thing on oh, her desk my wife was just like i am so glad that he stopped that <laughs> because that was bothering me and i couldn't even watch the scene because that kept going on yeah it's like she was right there with Tony. <laughs> but okay, now after the scene, are we supposed to believe that they've broken up? Were they together? Uh, I, I guess from maybe from like a friendship standpoint, their friendship was maybe tarnished. Maybe they were taking a break, but they knew that they still needed to interact because of business relations. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, Tony, Tony done messed up, and he was trying to apologize, and you know. He just can't swallow his pride to actually say the two words. I'm sorry. I know. So until that, until he does that, yeah, I guess she's she has every right to be mad at him. You know, especially with the strawberries. Geez, the one thing <laughs> she's allergic to on the earth. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and now I have a bit of a rant here. Go um, ahead. Okay. Seriously, this, this new element was foreshadowed. 
by Howard Stark? How would he know how badly Tony Stark needed it? I thought Tony created the arc reactor. Was it really Howard Stark that created it? Is is that the Tesseract in the journal? I thought Tony had a bad relationship with his dad. In one breath, he says his happiest day was sending him to boarding school. And the next he says, my dad is still taking me to school. Oh, my God. Can we get one writer on this that wants to explain continuity? Because nothing makes sense here. Okay. So how I took this whole scene, which I actually thought it was, I could tell that you didn't like it. I thought it was kind of (laughs) neat. And and here's my thing. Okay. So I'm going to go back to your questions. How did he know how badly he needed it? Well, I think he knew about, I think he knew this element and how powerful it was and how he even said it. I cannot even make this because my technology at my time cannot permit it. But he knows it's this all-powerful element. I think I just got to go on the... But he had access to the Tesseract. That's the most powerful thing. Well, maybe there was a screwdriver that didn't come out then. I don't know. (laughs) Didn't have those darn Phillips heads yet. (laughs) They couldn't... They couldn't... He still couldn't harness it with the power that they had. It's like you have this all-powerful thing, but how do you use it? Our technology isn't here yet. Uh, to use it the correct way. That's how I looked at it. Um, yes. And I think, no, when you say, did Tony Stark create the arc reactor physically, but was it his idea? No, that was Howard's. That's where the blueprints were. And, you know. Oh, you're Anton's. right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, was, guess, I guess if they'd followed that part of the story all the way through, you might have remembered that from the beginning. Well, that's what that was the whole premise of this of uh, the film of, of the arc reactor was from Iron Man one to Iron Man two. You know, they busted out. This is the second movie that they busted out the blueprints. But I'm talking about and in then, this movie because we again we haven't really addressed the arc reactor in about an hour. Well, wasn't he supposed to build? Didn't Paulson bring or Fury bring him the case with all those blueprints in him? And then again, I thought it was funny that he just takes the blueprints and throws them on the floor. Right. Like, I already know about this. But, um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's the time that we see it. We see it in the beginning of the movie with the opening credits with uh, Ivan. And then we see it again when he has to build a new one, per se. So to see what was in there. So it's a couple times that you see it. Um, and yeah, I think this whole time, that Tony did have a bad relationship with his dad because of how he was treated when he was a kid. First impressions are always meaningful. And then when he sees this hidden message, I feel, I think Tony was still holding out for his dad. He still loves him, but, and he wanted to have some kind of approval or some kind of meaning to his dad's life. And his dad never showed it to him because he was so busy with work. But then when he involves him in his work and his whole life's work was, geared towards him because he probably knew his son was going to be this amazing person in the future. So he builds his whole life's work around this expo to give him a, to, to help him out in this future, Tony, that probably hit a little bit of the harsh thing says, you know what? He was thinking about me the whole time and I didn't even see it. Well, so, okay. I'm going to say this. Okay. I, I agree with everything that you said. I agree with everything you said. I just wish you didn't have to think that hard to put it all together. You shouldn't have to. So I agree. Uh, I just, yeah. 
this movie doesn't do a good job of laying it out there for you. Well, that that's what I think this whole scene was the intention to do, was to show you that, yeah, you know, I thought about you the whole time. And I think that's what he says at the end, you know, that, you know, his happiest day or no, that the best thing I created was you. So that's cool. I think that's what this that's what this scene was. Yeah. OK. At the Stark Expo, Justin Hammer unveils his new military drones, the Hammer drones. <laughs> Captain by Rhodes in a heavily weaponized version of the confiscated Mark II armor. Unfortunately, it is soon discovered that Vanko has complete control of both the drones and Rhodes' new armor, and Stark arrives just as they go on the attack. Hammer's attempts to regain control of the drones get him placed into NYPD custody. As Stark battles against these remote-controlled enemies, Happy Hogan and Natasha Romanoff race to Hammer's Hammer Industries headquarters to stop Vanko. When this thing starts, first of all, I'll say this: the hammer drones look cool. Yeah, they. they look, I, I like how they're they're all like different branches of the military. That was neat. I did like that. Yeah, I think that that was probably brownie points from Hammer trying to get the you know everybody on board with it because everybody's military raw raw raw. So that thing, that was good on him. Yeah, I did like that. Yeah. Uh, when this when the shit hits the fan in this though. Mm-hmm. The first thing Iron Man does, he flies out of the dome and all the hammer drones start firing away and glass just falls in mass on the people. Yeah. Isn't that dangerous? <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's funny. It's funny that you, that you're mentioning this right now, because as soon as that happened, I was just like, man, I mean, I was trying to, I was trying to put myself in that position. It's like, <laughs> I would be like, cut up galore. I mean, that is like really bad. I mean, those are just little pieces from, of glass. There's probably giant chunks too. Yeah. Those are big shards. And if that's just, I mean, that had to have like hurt, put some people in a lot of critical condition right there. Yeah. And, heck, and who knows if it could have impaled somebody because if it's coming from that high up, I mean, the velocity increases, the higher something's up. So it's just like, Oh gosh. Yeah, that was dangerous. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it, we also, we get a junior varsity version of the Avengers in this. We get Iron okay. Man, War Machine in the field, mm-hmm. and we have Scarlet, uh, uh, yeah, Black Widow behind the uh, computers. Yeah. So we get um, three out of seven if you want to include War Machine, which we'll get into his absence in three movies from the, from now a little bit later. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, the whole seeing Black Widow, um duh. Oh my I just seeing Black Widow. Yeah. <laughs> I love how Happy's working so hard on one guy and she just mows through like twelve. <laughs> she is just every time that she's oh she's just amazing. And I think this is probably one of the very It's few the hair. Times it's, it's just <laughs> it is. It's the hair. It's just how suave she is. It's just how meticulous to detail on how, you know, she is the female Batman. Oh, she really was. She, she, she's the Batman. I was going to say Catwoman. Well, I did think that in her suave, but Catwoman didn't have all the gadgets that she was throwing out there. So that's why I thought of it more of as like a Batman. And I just thought that was so cool. You know? Uh, Yeah. We get a very, lethal version of her here yeah and i think it's probably one of her few times where it's on her on screen well this is the first time you really get to see how badass she is yeah and she's uh, i just think it's great it's all it's it's all her there's nobody else on there 
and it's just her just whooping some serious butt. And then you just step back and like, okay, you have my attention. I mean, you had it before, <laughs> but now you're like, Amazingly gorgeous and dangerous, yeah. which is even better. Uh, the little kid wearing the Iron Mask, ma- Iron Man mask is supposed to be Peter Parker, and I love how they say that now. But there is absolutely—I have screenshotted this. There is nothing on this kid that indicates in any way that he is Peter Parker. No, I'm yeah. from Queens. No, no Queens. Anything on him? Not, not even the colors. So where did this piece of knowledge come from? Kevin Feige, Tom Holland, and I believe the writer. Okay. Anybody can say anything. You're right. Nothing is said or portrayed. If it, if it had something, uh, I mean, but at the same time, what could he have done to make it seem that he was Spider-Man, Spider-Man at that kid age or, or a Peter Parker? Well, if he had like a shirt that said, you know, Queens Little League or something like that. Then, then you go okay because we know Spider-Man is from Queens. Like if they had said, "Oh, that's that's Peter Parker," you'd be like, "Oh, well, that makes sense. He's wearing a Queens Little League shirt." It wouldn't be like, "Oh, you wouldn't be watching going, oh, he's wearing Queens. That's Spider-Man." You wouldn't do that. But if they said it retroactively, you'd be like, "Okay, I can see how they connected it." There's nothing connected. I think they, I think it was just kind of like happenstance. They were like, "Well, we can just say it is. No one will know the okay. difference." Yeah, exactly. Um, Hawaii is a kid at the expo. It sleeps like an adult playground. It really does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So the other the other thing that you can do is if you put Aunt May in there somewhere that she was with him, yeah. and he comes up behind, I don't know, maybe. That's about it. But and he doesn't belong there. No, no, no. I could have done without that. Okay. Well, but by the time they arrive, Vanko has already departed for the expo in a new, more powerful suit of armor. But Romanoff is able to give Rhodes control of his armor again so that he and Stark can fight Vanko together. The two armored allies combine their powers and successfully take Vanko down. But Vanko's armor and the hammer drones are revealed to have been equipped to self-destruct like in Predator. As they begin to detonate, Stark races to save Potts, flying her to a rooftop where they reconcile and kiss. Um, the fight against the drones is more fun than the fight against Vanko, Steve. Oh, by <laughs> far. I, I, I really love that, that little two minute mo- I don't know how long that fight scene was, but it wasn't too short and it wasn't too long. It was That's perfect. What I, it, it was perfect timing. Um, and, uh, it was good to see that those two click on the same page, especially when they all looking around, they're all dropping down. Mm-hmm. They don't even say anything to either. They're just looking all of a sudden shields click down lights up. I'm like, it's about to go down. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, but I did like, I did like the humoristic banter between them says, uh, well, we want the big gun up top. (laughs) Where are you going? Well, I'm the big gun, please. I'm the big gun. I have all the guns. (laughs) Oh, that was funny. (laughs) Yeah. Or when he, he uses the laser to knock down everybody, he goes, you may want to start with that next time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that was a great finish to it. And that was just, when that happened, I was like, that is so Tony Stark says, just, just get down. And then it's like, Oh, all right. I'm going to take this guy <laughs> down with the ex-wife. Hammer tech? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He just, oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, added to briefing, Fury informs Stark that while Stark is unsuitable for the Avengers initiative, S.H.I.E.L.D. wants him as a consultant. Stark agrees on the condition that Senator Stern present him and Rhodes with their medals for bravery. What a wonderfully dickish move getting Stern to do the ceremony. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that was good. Uh, this, but that now, okay. So the Avengers Initiative, Shield. Okay, we're we're back to this again. What, yes. ha- what happened to Vanko? What happened to Hammer? Were okay. they supposed yeah. to return at some point? Well, well, Vanko didn't. He's he he sets his button to, for everything to self destruct. I think including his suit. Oh, okay. Vanko's gone. Yeah, gotcha. That, that with all those explosions, because that's why he went out and saved Pepper Potts. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah, Hammer just kind of disappears and just gets arrested, and um. Nothing is even said about him towards the end of the movie. No. Um, so he just assumed that he's just gone. Um, yeah, the Avengers Initiative. I, I'm glad that they brought that back into play because yeah. that's that's the bigger, bigger storyline um, that they're kind of being secretive to. And I thought it was great that um, it almost seemed like Tony Stark had a very humbling conversation with them as he's going through all of his character flaws. <laughs> Narcissistic. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that. Yep. <laughs> In my defense, I, it was last week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know so. what's funny is that this conversation that they have um, could have been had in the donut shop. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. It was. It said it was at some secret like basement facility. But I think it would have been a lot funnier if it was actually was just laid out there in the open having coffee with donuts. Yeah. You know, and uh, I'm at a point now where I don't even watch the actors anymore. I'm looking at all the screens in the background because when it comes to Easter eggs, this is an Mm -hmm. assault on the senses. Because they've got maps in the background and they show you there's a little blip in the part of Africa where Wakanda is supposed to be. There's a blip in New Mexico. There's a blip in where Greenland is, which is supposed to be, um, what do you call it? Uh, Captain America. Uh, there's a blip in, uh, there, there's like different blips all over this world map. And you're like, that's where all of these heroes are. Oh, see, yeah. I was too concentrating on the actors and the, and the script itself. Yeah. That's 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 really cool. I'm going to go back and watch that now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we get to a post-credit scene. Shield agent. Colson is seen driving to a remote impact crater in the New Mexico desert. He informs Fury over the phone that they've found it. In the crater is Meow Meow. No, is Mjolnir. (laughs) The Hammer of Thor. And I remember thinking, there is no way a Thor movie is going to work. This will be Marvel's biggest mistake. Boy, was I wrong. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That was, I think this post-credit scene was the coolest out of the ones that we've seen. Um, but I was so, this is what Marvel's done to me in the, in the two, two movies that I've seen so far yep. is the post-credit scene and paying really, really close attention to every little detail. So, and the, they, they did this on purpose and I could not figure it out. So maybe you can help me yep. when the post-credit scene starts, you see the car driving and it zooms in and it stops for a couple seconds on the license plate, I paused and was like, what does this acronym mean? And I was trying <laughs> to figure it out for the world of me. So my question, does it mean something? I can't recall off the top of my head, but I know that at some point in one of these movies, there was a license plate that was shown and was supposed to indicate a specific issue of the comics. Because I tried everything. I think it was eight, like E N R, something like yeah. Eightner or something. I was, I could not figure it out. It just looked like a bunch of serial numbers to me. Ether, but there's A-E-T-H-E-R? no way. T H E R. 
Ether? Okay. Say, okay. I'm in. I mean, because it, that's I, I'm Thorin, sorry, it has right? to mean something. And you know what? It, ha- it would have to mean something that the audience could get because that's the thing I noticed. They, the, the car stopped and the camera stayed on this license plate for an extended amount of time. I think so. It has to mean something pivotal. I always thought that it was just indicating that they were in New Mexico. Because it was a New Mexico plate. Well, they could have done that. They could have saved themselves three, four seconds. We could have turned about three or four hundred thousand dollars from this film. Yeah, (laughs) it's alluded to when he's talking to Tony in the donut uh, shop when he says, "I've got bigger problems than you in the Southwest region." Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then maybe that's got to be what. And now we're in New Mexico. We're going to see what the bigger problems are. Okay. All right. I'll take that in for right now. Well, the movie's over. Were you entertained, Steve? Yes. Um, I thought this movie was, I had a smile on it at the end of the movie. It's the post-credit scene or um, not the post-credit, but the, uh, the credits were rolling. And I was like, that was cool. (laughs) (laughs) I just had a a smile on my face. (laughs) So what about you, Joe? Uh, Yes, 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 yes. There, there is so much to unpack when you see this the second time around the third time around the fourth time around, I'm still getting stuff like the 20th time around in this that I didn't see before. Uh, But I, I will get into that during the top three, bottom three. But uh, let's figure out whether the awards got it right and whether this movie is worth your time or not. So, Academy Awards, Best Achievement in Visual Effects. It was nominated for one thing, Best Achievement in Visual Effects, Inception 1. Should Iron Man 2 have won? Looking at the candidates there. No, I think Inception was the one. That movie was just like beyond like what they did with buildings and all those special effects. I thought that was better. Yeah, me too. For sure. Now we go. Um, there was nothing for the Golden Globes. Okay. They they didn't recognize Iron Man too. They're like, eh, it's just a comic book movie. Well, what will that okay. do later on? We yeah. go to the Saturn Awards. There were four nominations: Best Science Fiction Film, and it went to Inception. Okay. Which I don't really consider this a science fiction film. They're, they're, Inception? No. No, no, no. I don't consider Iron Man 2 a science fiction film. Oh, I would consider it an action film. That's true. Of those three, sci-fi, fantasy, or horror, I'd almost call it fantasy. Because it's comic book. Yeah, if I had to pick one of them, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Sci-fi, science... I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I would probably... I guess, personally, I'd probably pick sci-fi over fantasy. When I think of fantasy, I'm thinking of The Lord of the Rings, uh, Tron, which is actually on there. Yeah, Tron um, Legacy. So, uh, yeah. Best actor went to Jeff Bridges for Tron Legacy, but he was up against George Clooney for The American, Leonardo DiCaprio, who was nominated twice for Shutter Island and Inception, Robert Downey Jr., and Ryan Reynolds and Buried. Should Jeff Bridges have won this? Well, I never saw Tron. It just looked cheesy to me. It was bad. Um, but um, Leonardo DiCaprio, if I had to pick somebody out of there, it probably should have been him. Yeah, it should have been one of those... Either of those movies would have been fine. Yeah, statistically speaking, he he should have done that. But I don't know. I think a dark horse even better than maybe what Jeff Bridges has done would have been Ryan Reynolds because the Buried movie. That was it's awesome. just all him in low light, dark, and it was just that was insane. Yeah. I, and I mean, I can't stand having my entire body over my covers when I sleep <laughs> because I'd get that claustrophobic feeling. That happened when I had to get like an MRI done, and I couldn't last any more than five seconds. And this was just like uh, I had a tough time watching it. I powered through it, but it was 
it was really good. Scarlett Johansson got a nomination for Best Supporting Actress, but she did not win. She lost to Mila Kunis in Black Swan. Yeah, I don't think, uh, other than Iron Man 2, I hadn't seen any of these movies, so it's tough for me. I'm going to say, I, I don't see Scarlett Johansson winning this one at all. Mila Kunis should have won this. And if not her, Kieran Knightley. If not her, Jackie Weaver. It, it, okay. Scarlett didn't really do a whole lot of acting in this. She played the same note over and over again. It was a good note, yeah. but it was one note. Okay. And uh, best special effects went to Inception. Um, I got to agree. It's, yeah. it, was, it was against Alice in Wonderland, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, Iron Man 2, Tron Legacy, and the Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Inception was just sick. Yeah, Inception was... It almost seemed like it was ahead of its time on what, uh, uh, not only on storyline, but on the effects that they were able to pull off on screen. Yeah, and speaking of ahead of its time, now the MTV Movie Awards. Okay. It got two nominations. Best Villain... For Mickey Rourke in Iron Man 2, but it lost to Draco Malfoy from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. 110% agree. Why is he even on there for the best film? Who, Mickey Rourke? Yes. Gosh, and I'm a villains guy, so this is my this this is my wheelhouse right here. Heck, I would even take Ned Betty. I know. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> and then this is the one that made me giggle. Biggest badass star. Robert Downey oh, Jr. Geez. is nominated. You're up against Joseph Gordon-Levitt for Inception, Jaden Smith for The Karate Kid, Alex Pettifer for I Am Number 4, but it goes to Chloe Grace Moretz for Kick-Ass, and I'll be honest with you, I kind of agree, because as Hit Girl, she was awesome. <laughs> yeah, she was. But I'll tell you, Robert Downey Jr. has got to be a close second. Has He's got to be, be a close, close second. second, yeah. All right. Jaden Smith. Stop <laughs> it with the Jaden Smith. <laughs> You want to do a rant on Jaden Smith? <laughs> I want to go home. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> All right. On to our next segment titled Top 3, Bottom 3. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie, and then we go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable, or downright travesties. Let's start with the top three. Steve, what are your top three? Okay. The first thing I really, really liked was, I, can't, I think this just might be my thing. The opening credits. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked the music in the opening credits when Ivan's building the arc. It was very Batman. <laughs> um, it was, and it had that Russian feel that that's strong, powerful, yeah. but that's the first thing I thought of was Batman. Um, that mother Russia like tone. Mm -hmm. um, it sets the tone that there is something bigger at work and nobody knows about it. I like that. And that was the, uh, that was the suspense, and I want to know more about that. And we know what he's building because at the end of the credits, you figure it out. But it's just like he's the only one doing this in the world, and nobody knows about it. And it's like that is the same thing Iron Man has. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> so that bought me into it big time. Right. But it was the music. Um, number two, the Iron Man suit. It was. It really was put on display in this movie. You got to see its real full potential and its full arsenal. Yeah. From the drunken battle with War Machine all the way to the end, you got to really see its flight, but more importantly, its fighting style. I think this is the most fighting Tony's really done in the suit. Um, and it really got used to its fullest potential, even when they're battling all of the military drones at the end. Um, and then number one. Natasha, Natasha. <laughs> oh my God. Every time she's on screen, I couldn't get enough. I, she's gorgeous. She's hot, athletic. 
did I mention she's hot? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm excited, super excited, and I am all in just because of this film that there is a Black Widow TV series coming out. Well, I think it's a prequel. It's not even. It's it's gonna be a movie. Oh, I don't care. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scar it's, Scar Joe is in it, so. Oh, it's, I am super excited for it. And she made this movie 10 times better. Oh, okay. I, I, not only that, I loved her character. She's hot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> she got that going for her. <laughs> so, um, all right, Joe, what were your top three in this film? All right. My number three is Justin Hammer. <laughs> Justin Hammer's hysterical as the junior varsity version of Tony Stark. Like you can yeah. tell he's just never going to be at that level, but He's got an ego the same size as Tony's. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, my number two is Black Widow, War Machine, and Nick Fury. All original Avengers that get their due in this movie as a shared origin movie. Yeah. But War Machine is here. Why wasn't he in the Avengers movie? Well, I don't know. When's the next time you do see him? The Avengers. Oh, no, no. Iron Man 3. Oh, and now that's supposedly supposed to take happen after the Avengers. Well, yeah. don't you think they could have used that firepower when they were fighting the Shatari? I guess so. I don't know. I haven't <laughs> seen, I, I haven't, I say this in air quotes, I haven't seen those movies yet. But, oh. uh, <laughs> but no, I probably do agree. This is like Iron Man, I, I don't want to call it 2.0, but he's definitely a powerful sidekick that he's got. And if he doesn't show up, after this, yeah, he could really, he could definitely be useful. Yeah. Okay. My number one is the Monaco race scene from start to finish. Despite every flaw in this, I still love watching it. It's still fun to watch. It's completely ludicrous, <laughs> but I love watching just, it. That's what makes it kind of crazy, I guess. It is, it is high energy, high impact. And I guess with the racing aspect of it, that kind of puts your mind in the mode of it, that it's just go, 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 go. Everything's high speed. So yeah, okay. I could see it, how enjoyable this is. Yeah. So, All yeah. right, let's move on to the bottom three. Time to vent. Steve, what are your bottom three? Oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> you liked Mr. Hammer. Um, I did. <laughs> my number three was Mr. Hammer. Um, <laughs> for being a C <laughs> for being a CEO or uh, or an owner, a creative genius, he's just clueless what's going on with this company. <laughs> and I don't know if they did this on purpose, but it almost seemed like when he handed over uh, Mickey Rourke's character Ivan, like the keys to the castle to build these um, to even make these uh, drones even better. It seemed a little bit exactly like what Tony was doing in Pakistan. <laughs> um, just everything was played behind the wheel, you know, or it's just behind closed curtains, but it was that technically out there in the open. Right. Um, he seemed like more of an annoying spokesman for the company than anything. Damn. Um, and he does play the little annoying brother figure very well. <laughs> and that was noted when they're at the bar scene at Monaco, where just Tony's just so annoyed with him. It's like, oh, just the little brother, just go away. Um, my number two, I think you might agree with me, is during the Monaco fight scene when Happy rams Ivan. Um, not it's, once, it's, it's but, Monaco. Oh, I thought it was twice. It's Monaco, Monaco. by the way. Oh, what did I say? Monaco. Oh. <laughs> Monaco. <laughs> Mo Monaco, you're right. Um, but it was not once, but twice, and as you say, a third time with a Rolls Royce. Yeah. Um, 
it should have shattered or mushed at least. His <laughs> um, it's it, and that sh- and maybe even it should have killed him. There Probably. might have been a little bit of a, a little bit of internal bleeding. Yeah. Um, maybe they could have done something a little different just to stabilize or inhibit Ivan. I would have bought into that a little bit more. Um, maybe Tony could have shot like a little handheld, like an like an EMP, you know, something to throw him to completely disable him or stun him. I would have bought into that a little bit more. Um, oh, I got maybe, a great, I got a great idea. Not to interrupt you here, but what if oh, he ahead. lost the use of his legs, and Tony saw that as the inspiration to make uh, War Machines prosthetics later on? Well. But uh, it's probably a reach. if if, if that, yeah, it is, but you still don't get that because they kind of drag him, pull him away, and then he's sitting upright <laughs> in the jail cell. True. And then he's walking around, and I don't know what's the time frame. Maybe a week. Within maybe a less week. than that. <laughs> um. Yeah, a guy tears his knee in the NBA, uh, and he's out for nine to ten, twelve months. <laughs> and they got the best rehab ever. Anyways, um, my number one, <sighs> Mickey Rourke. And his terrible Russian accent. I want my bird. <laughs> it was just forced from the beginning. And I hate every time he spoke, it just got worse. His uh, He was too forcing it. And all I could see was The Rustler. That's what I knew Mickey Rourke. That was the first Mickey Rourke movie I've ever seen was when he did The Rustler. So anytime, that's where I saw him at. And he was just forcing <laughs> this little accent on him. It was just annoying. And every time he talked, it stood out. And I probably got... I probably lost something from the character himself because I'm like, oh, like one, I couldn't un- couldn't understand his, his voice. I mean, my wife said, he goes, is he saying his bird or his boat? I can't tell. <laughs> Why would he want his boat? I want Did he have boat. a bird? We couldn't even remember if he, I couldn't remember if he had was Maybe he had a bird, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Ugh, I, anything Mickey Rourke, I was not too fond about. I don't know. Um, Joe, here's yours. Yeah, you're in a segue right into mine here, which is my number three is I think Mickey Rourke was completely outshined by Sam Rockwell. And it should have been the other way around for this story to actually work. Yeah. Um, Sam Rockwell should have been the one manipulated by Vanko. And you get the idea because of how personable and how confident he is. It's the Sam Rockwell show. And I just think that they they should have flipped it. Uh, My number two. This was the best way for Howard Stark to help Tony. A cryptic message. And why is this new element so important to Howard Stark? Does Howard know that Tony will have a chess piece in the future that needs this new element? Was it supposed to have more implications for energy in the future because they seem to just ignore it from this point on in the world when it comes to the energy race? It's really convoluted the way it comes apart. Well, yeah, he doesn't know that he needs this. Little chess piece. I'll give you that. Yeah. And finally, but, my, my number one is the Palladium storyline is great. I just feel like it's in the wrong movie. Or it's just there to show he's vulnerable, but then so is his alcoholism. So I guess you really don't need that either in this. One or the other. And I think if you wanted to stay clear towards the comics, yeah, they should have just done the alcohol. Yeah. So, But those are my bottom three. All right, yeah. Stevie. It's time for the critics rating. We use an A to F scale here on the movie planet. A C is considered average. A is the highest. F is the lowest. If the movie is so bad, it receives F's from all the hosts. It goes to a new category of movie, the movie planet global killer, a category of movie where you can watch it ironically and have an amazing time at how awful it actually is. So the question is, 
What do you give Iron Man 2 in the comic book feature film genre? I mute myself. Steve, you're up. <laughs> okay. Well, I, ha- I have to laugh after when, when I was thinking about this. It's like, it's so easy to give this movie an A after seeing Hulk. But you got let's dissect this for a second to see if that's really the case. <sighs> there are some villain issues in this movie. Was it Hammer? Was it Ivan? Personally, I think the biggest villain in this was Tony's ego because he's just battling himself almost the entire time. Um, Ever since Iron Man's reveal from the end of Iron Man 1, um, his stardom has gotten even higher and higher and his ego and his persona and his personal responsibility has just gotten bigger and he loses sight of why he became Iron Man. Mm. Um, To get away from the military, you know, destruction aspect of everything and just making this world a better place. But I think with the whole Iron Man and his ego, he gets lost in that somehow. Um, I mean, he gave his company to Pepper Potts in an instant. That's (laughs) great move. I think she is definitely the more responsible one and she was probably doing it anyways. But ever since he did that, he started to get crazier, and eventually he was drunk with a high-powered weapon strapped to himself. That was his rock bottom. And then something happens. Um, It's Howard, his dad, someone he respected very highly, but he had some kind of edge against him because he just didn't show him that much love that he wished he would have had. And I think the older that Howard, or not Howard, um, the older that Tony got, the more he started to resent him because of this. Because as a kid, you don't think about it that much until you start getting progressively older. Right. And I know you mentioned this in your bottom three on that whole subplot of whether he needed this element or not. I thought it was a really cool segue for Tony to have that more respect and for to love him again was to have that knowing that Howard did this, everything he did to help out Tony because he couldn't do it right then and there. He knew he was meant to be this powerful genius and to be the scientist. And he needed this and he knew about this powerful element, but he just could not create it. Um, which, you know, you, br- you brought up a point earlier that said they had the Tesseract and he couldn't even do this. How much of a genius is Tony Stark now? Because he was able to build this without the Tesseract. That's something to be said. Um, yeah, we got we got a good character. No, I know we got a good character arc with somebody we already knew something about. And that was Tony on how he hit rock bottom and then comes back. I thought that was really cool. And Scarlett Johansson was downright awesome and my favorite. <laughs> Just wow. <laughs> um, I gave this movie a B plus. It was really good. Yeah, but. The villain thing just totally knocks it down a whole letter grade for me because I thought they were just lame. Um, I could do without Mickey Rourke's character. It was lame and unrealistic at times. Um, I think Justin Hammer should have taken the mold and should have taken this with him. He could have had just like a spare scientist on the side that he kind of that, you know, maybe Stark knew about or he could have uh, abducted or captured a scientist that was on Stark's team and mm-hmm. held him against the well, kind of like um who Stark had in the cave. Someone oh, like he respected that way. Yeah, like a Jensen that but was from Stark's facility. I would have even bought into that. That just gives um Hammer just more validity as the main villain. So Joe, 
It's your turn now. Okay, well, just I know I talked about some of your bottoms. Now it's your turn. You're Go giving, ahead, buddy. You're giving this a B plus, right? I am giving it a B plus. It's not an A. It's the villains thing that knocks it down a whole letter grade for me. Well, if you knock it down a whole letter grade, then it, wouldn't that be a B? Well, an A, B plus. I don't. Uh, I okay. Then the, the thing that pushes it up for me is Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> because she's just downright amazing and makes this movie better. <laughs> All right. Okay. My thing. Okay. I love this movie so much, but I'm going to have to distance myself, my love for this thing on this one, because I love it despite all its problems. And boy, are there a lot within the span of two hours and four minutes, the directors and writers try to accomplish the following things. Make his palladium poisoning a storyline. Make his alcoholism a storyline. Make Ivan Vanko a storyline. Make Justin Hammer a storyline. Make Stark's daddy issues a storyline. Make the Stark Expo a storyline. Introduce Black Widow, Nick Fury, and War Machine. Put turmoil into his and Pepper's relationship. And have Tony deal with Senate hearings. This is way too much to accomplish in this movie. And it does so in a brief, careless happenstance way that ultimately makes you feel like you're watching a bunch of Iron Man short movies rather than a complete cohesive movie. At least The Incredible Hulk was focused on its one or two plots from start to finish. I can't I can't believe I'm going to do this. But this is the first Marvel movie we're doing where I'm going to give it a below average grade. I'm giving this a C minus. If this is a movie, if this movie was lacking humor, like Incredible Hulk, it'd be downgraded to a D plus. But thankfully, the humor is what kept me going. It's why I love this movie so much. So I'm sticking with it. I laughed plenty. C minus. So that's my final grade. So you gave it a B plus. I gave it a C minus. Let's revisit the list of movies in the Pantheon. We got Deadpool with a perfect day. Iron Man with a perfect day. Green Lantern with a C. The Incredible Hulk with a C, and Iron Man 2, it fits right in there with Green Lantern and Incredible Hulk. So it's just below Green Lantern by 167 thousandths of a percent. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well... Actually, As we said before in the beginning, we still C- have that movie to find in between. Sorry, they're both C pluses. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we, have, I got a feeling next week or the next show we do, Thor, uh, will be the one in between. You know, that's a good. It, it, it it's now a good prediction to make is when we look at these films, which will be the one that fits in between. You know, your perfect days and the ones that we've done so far. So Yeah, and realistically, we got five. There is room for two more in this pantheon before we start to kick them out. And we're doing, we got Thor, we got Captain America, and we got Avengers coming up. So we may see the Incredible Hulk make its exit. (laughs) Well, I think we might both, I would, I think we might maybe agree that we can both probably agree with that, but that has yet to be seen. Um, But I'll tell you, once we get further and further into this MCU, it's really going to get interesting. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, let's get our critics' hats off. Do you love this movie, right. like this movie, or none of the above? Steve? I really, really liked it. It's a fun movie. It was high-paced, just like Tony. Um, RDJ is perfect as Tony Stark. 
I, Joe? I love this movie. It is, it's just so much fun. It's a fun movie. I love this movie the same way that I love Weekend at Bernie's. It's a bad movie, but damn it, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's what it's a. Would you put this better as like a roller coaster ride? Like all the uh, like the flying sequences. Um, I would put it better as Iron Man, just because I guess there's more action in it. Um, the storyline was a little bit of a knock. What, what was a knockoff? But in terms of just all the action sequences, I would put it above Iron Man in that aspect, just because it's so crazy in the battle scenes and there's a lot of flying. It really takes the audience for a ride. So the yeah, enjoyment it factor of it around. is very frenetic, and it's why I, the next question, which is, would pre-college yeah. kids love this movie, like it or none of the above? I personally think that they would love it because it's so all over the place in its plot lines. Attention spans would be saved for the blow them up action. What, yeah, what about you, Steve? True. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit it right on the right on the nail is that there's, you know, and that, that was part of your thing that you ranted about was there were so many storylines, yeah. you know, um, kids nowadays will be able to, okay, we know a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It keeps switching it up. Um, plus I think kids would just be like, oh, I want Tony's computer. It's so ahead of what we got right now, <laughs> you know, and I don't think they would look it up right then and there. So no, yeah. I think that they would get a kick out of the computer system. It was just awesome all around. All right. Well, let's close this bitch out. That's all I got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we'll continue our look at the movie cinematic universe with Thor. Whew. Little, Nor- little Norse god love there. If you have any suggestions for movies that you'd like us to review, you can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to pass the word on to your friends about the show. Subscribe on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or Spotify, and help the show get on its feet with a four- or five-star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, and we'll try to fit them into the show next time we're on the air. Send those tweets to at MoviePlanetPod and like us on Facebook and Instagram using the links in the show notes. Special thanks to Twisterium and Sound J Music for providing our intro music. And thanks for listening. Hey, Steve, you got anything for the end of the movie here? Well, I just, uh, I'm looking forward to watching Thor. I want to see more about this hammer. Is, is, this, is Thor like one of your favorites of the phase ones? It is. I think it's one of my favorite origin ones. Um, this will be our third origin. Well, it could be considered our fourth because we got introduced to Nick Fury and Black Widow with all that. That's this true. Could be our fourth origin one. Yeah. So so far, this is all we've seen. So it'd be good to rank it amongst amongst the other ones in terms of origin stories. Definitely. So. All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening to the Movie Planet podcast and happy movie watching. Bye, Joel. We're out.